This is a HeadGum Podcast. The discussions on Robot Congress are for entertainment purposes and to help correct random people on the internet. Any law discussed is general commentary only and not to be taken as legal advice. Specific facts will always alter the case. Have a problem? Hit the gym and lawyer up. Hello and welcome to Robot Congress. I am Ryan Morrison and with me as always is my law firm partner, Allison Rothman, and my life partner, Austin Hoffman. I came first today. Say hello. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think that's happening recently is that Allie is supplanting me. It's because she's next to me and you're recording from a distant land, Austin, that I abandoned yes. you in, New York. Uh, <laughs> but because I felt so bad of you being alone in New York, I got you someone in Connecticut today as a guest. Small <laughs> consolation. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan Katz is an attorney I've known for a very long time, a good colleague of mine in the industry, truly one of the good guys. He he fights for uh, anytime you look up what he's working on or who he's representing, without a doubt, he's on the right side of the issue. And uh, that is not something many attorneys can say. Not he's never on the left side. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, Jonathan, give us a hello and give us a little background on yourself and what you do and who you is. I'm an attorney. I've been representing YouTubers since 2013. I get around. Uh, I also was one of the co-founders of the uh, sadly now defunct Internet Creators Guild advocating for creators. And a few years ago with my partner, Victoria, we created Clamor Summit, a you know private YouTube creator conference for entrepreneurially minded creators to get together once a year, and that you know dominates a lot of my time and attention as we try to organize creators in the you know community. Absolutely, and so the past few weeks, the internet's gone on fire from two things that normally are not so easily understood. One is YouTube's content guidelines and how they choose to enforce it, and the other is privacy laws in general. The privacy law we are looking at today and affecting YouTube is COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And it is something that is changing how a lot of family channels, channels targeted towards children, toy channels, Minecraft channels, potentially a million things on YouTube are all going to be affected by these changes. And I want to go through this today with Jonathan, who's not only an expert on this issue, but also wrote an incredible article on TubeFilter. I recommend everyone stop what they're doing and go read this article or continue listening because we're going to go through this article. Uh, it is titled, <laughs> Is a YouTube Copacalypse Coming? <laughs> Which is amazing. Uh, F- FTC rules could start demonetizing creators in 2020. And it sounds like not could. It sounds like it's absolutely going to. So... First, I want to go through the important, the basic stuffs here. Jonathan, what is COPPA and what's it got to do with me, as your article so intelligently asks? <laughs> sure. So COPPA is a 1998 law uh, that basically was designed when you know kids were going on the internet for the first time and there was the risk that they were going to publish their you know, phone numbers and personal addresses and names and whatnot in chat rooms and 
you know, give that information to predators that would put them at risk. And so a law was created that basically said that the operators of websites uh, and and apps, et cetera, uh, need to make sure that if they're making an app that is going to, you know, draw kids to it or it's designed for kids, that there, there can't be a way that a kid could accidentally reveal private information or intentionally reveal private information that they can't actually consent to releasing. And instead... So all those AIM chat rooms that asked me oh, age, sex, it, location. It, <laughs> well, exactly. Exact location, please. Exactly. And, and that, to some degree, is exactly what parents were afraid of. And so they said, if you're, if you're you know, if you create something that is meant to draw kids in you basically have to create a blindfold where you can't see what your users are are doing and you can't share that, you can't collect that information and you can't redistribute it or publish it in any way. And that if you are going to do so, you need to get explicit parental consent, which, you know, that, that fully informs the parents of what you're going to do with the information that you collect, et cetera. And, and let's pause right there because that is... That is, I come from the games industry. I, yes, I've done a ton of work on YouTube and Twitch, et cetera, but the games industry is, is my home. Uh, working with game developers is first and foremost what I have done. And COPPA is something that rocked the games industry uh, for that last thing you just said, Jonathan. So you need to get explicit consent from a parent to be able to use, uh, to be able to have children users, basically. And the way to get that consent that the FTC recommended was insane. It was things along the lines of have a Skype call with the parent, confirm it's the parent so you can see them on video Uh, and and things like that, where no company had the bandwidth to sit there and have Skype calls with parents all day for everybody that wanted to sign up for their their game. And, And taking even a step back from that, this law is a good thing, just like the DMCA. It's a good thing. There is good intent behind this. The children online are absolutely being taken advantage of, are absolutely giving away too much information. However, as with all laws that involve the internet, it gets way too broad, it gets way too overreaching, and it starts damaging people, businesses, and things that A, it never had any intent to, and B, I don't think mirror the intent of what the legislators who put it together would have wanted. So for example, YouTube just got rocked with a fine for this, And now every streamer who's making a Minecraft channel or doing a toy box opening uh, is getting affected by this. And I don't know, Jonathan, do you think that was the intent here? Do you think this is getting too overreaching or is this a good thing? The FTC has a lot of discretion in how they choose to amend or uh, interpret the the 1998 law. And, And as everybody knows, like... Like technology is going to keep advancing and creating different ecosystems that the, you know, a decade before weren't even contemplated. And so expecting that, you know, year upon year, whatever strategy they pick to enforce it, whether it's overbroad or underreaching or what have you, you know, after a couple of years, it's going to be, uh, they're going to be facing a whole different set of problems. And what's really difficult about that is that. Every time they change the regulations, it puts a whole bunch of companies out of business who relied on the regulations being the way that they are, right? And so what what happened is in 2013, they expanded the regulations to say, you can't collect any persistent identifiers, anything that even recognizes that a single user is that individual user and like 
monitor their behavior in any way, even if that data is ultimately like anonymized because of the risk that collecting persistent identifiers could. It's interesting too, because you say, you know, persistent identifiers, what does that mean? It's, I was yeah. joking before about age, sex, location, but it's, it, the, the threshold is way, way lower than even that. Yeah, the, the threshold is cookies on your computer. So in 2013, they made this amendment to the copper rule, which expanded uh, the definition of personal information from being like phone numbers and addresses of the, the individual kids to any data whatsoever that the that the ad, that the website could detect about the user, including cookies or like information tied to the email address that was used to log into the account or any information at all. And the reality is, is that most advertising, the current advertising ecosystem that funds all of this content uh, that makes it possible for like, you know, any kind of, you know, Minecraft channel or, 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 um, you know, family vlog or a, you know, like even like cooking videos or, or you know, whatever it could be, you know, PewDiePie stuff. The ad, the reason that advertisers are buying ads on YouTube that ultimately fund that content is because they want to match the, the ad that they're playing to an audience that's interested in. Yeah. And the only way that we all, that that, that in the, the current standard that the industry relies upon is the ability to know is this person who's watching this video likely a match for our ad? And yeah, and like every platform you use, you don't even realize. It. I mean, I think people are starting to realize it a little bit more now that privacy is becoming a hot button topic. But a lot of times you don't even realize you're giving them your information just by logging in or just by accessing that site from your location. And I've gone on that rant on here before that, you know, we, we care so much about privacy now, but we absolutely don't. Uh, you know, the society society in general has been clicking OK to the privacy policy since the Internet started because they just didn't want to read it. And also, even if they read it, even if it said want to use the service. Yeah, exactly. We're going to come in and take every piece of information you have. Is that cool? If that was the privacy policy, people would still click yes, because they want to use the old age filter on Snapchat. Uh, you know, th- this is this is where we are. So. I don't know, Austin, have you ever, and this is a serious question. I'm not like saying, you're just the not lawyer in the room. Have you ever once stopped and contemplated what you're clicking okay to in terms of service or privacy policy ever? Uh, Yeah, but that's mostly because of the earlier work that we did on this podcast. And I just came to accept the fact that the, the modern services that we use, they require agreements to that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, I've told you before, I now answer like, you know, like marketing questions to Google for 50 cents. Cause... Yeah, I yell at you about that all the time. You, you... <laughs> do you do that, Austin? Oh, my God. He, of course he does. He sits there and he, uh, how, many, how many times do you go to Starbucks in a week? Four. Now give me 12 cents, please. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, sometimes they ask for receipts. And when, like, I just don't need receipts. Amazon gift card. <laughs> um, no, hey, so. But, but. Money. It's not free. But, yeah. No, it's but in all seriousness, cards. in all seriousness, think about how many apps in your pocket are tracking everything about you. So let's use Pokemon Go. It uses your location at all times. Okay, so now the Pokemon company knows where you are at all times. It knows how long you sleep because that's where you are in your bedroom. And then when it goes to your living room, it knows when you're in your car because that's where the parking garage is and what your commute is to work. And uh uh-oh, you're late today, Charizard knows. And then that's not enough because they want to give you a special present on your birthday. So now they're asking you your birthday. 
Then, oh, you want to join our loyalty Pokemon Trainer Club? Well, sign on up, and now you're part of the elite team, and all we need is your email and your social security number and your mother's maiden name. Uh, you know, the, and unfair to target Pokemon, but that's what every app is doing in I, your pocket. I literally just got a notification this morning saying my World Disney World app is using my location at all times. And if I wanted to change that, I should do it. Yeah. I did do it. It's Disney, but I did it anyway. And like Fitbit wished me happy birthday. And it, that knows literally where my heart is and what it's doing. I kind of want Mickey to know where I am at all times. <laughs> so I guess the, the, the point of this is it's too late to put the, the toothpaste back in the tube. But I still am a huge believer that even if all of society is going to do this, you should be old enough to be stupid enough to do it. Uh, the point of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act is, yeah, you might want to give away all your information, but you're not old enough to make that choice. And, and because of that, it's really become something that is now too overreaching because it's it's just like cutting military defense spending in Congress. No one wants to be the one to stand up and say, yeah, we should not give the military as much. Also, no senator wants to come up or no legislator wants to stand up and say, well, I think children should have, I think it should be easier to track children or it should be easier <laughs> to market to children. So it just gets that more and more. They are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. Has this reached a point of lunacy? Maybe. I do think that there are pros and cons to this. But what's more important is how does this actually affect the, there are a lot of YouTubers that listen to this. There's a lot of streamers, game developers, et cetera. Jonathan, what should they be looking out for? What should their main concerns be? And what can they do to just be more careful if they do have a channel targeted to children? Yeah, and let's talk a little about what that means targeted at children. Because you mentioned Minecraft and, you know, children unboxing toys. Those are the obvious ones. But, you know, there's, there's going to be ones that are not so obvious. Yeah. And so in response to the concern about like privacy and ads and all this stuff that we're giving up, I mean, I think that that's a legitimate concern. One of my favorite things to do is open up Instagram every once in a while and go look up my um, secret ad interests. And like there's a, you click security and access data and ads at the bottom. And then it gives you a list of all the things that Instagram thinks that you're interested in. And it Wait, uses really? I want to do this while we're on the podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely should. And it will pull provide it, pull you it up, Ali. And while Jonathan's answering, I want you when when he's done, I want you to read your list. You know, I'm less surprised <laughs> that they have that and more surprised that you can access it so easily. Well, you can't edit it, it looks like. It, I mean, mine looks like pretty accurate, at least as I as I start going. I mean, I I think mine seems a little ridiculous, but I, I think that the re the reality is is that you know these machines that like collect data on you are for the most part very dumb, and they're giving <laughs> they're painting in like broad strokes because they're only the only purpose of them is not to create some nefarious profile of you. It's to be able to say to an advertiser, "Hey, this guy might be a match." I just saw that stormtroopers. All right, it's getting a little Star ridiculous Wars now. Is on here for me, and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. So show me your Star Stormtrooper Halloween costumes. I'm interested. <laughs> exactly, and so I want everyone listening to do this with us. So you go into your settings, security, data, data, and then access, you, data. access data, and then you scroll all the way down, and you can see your ad interests. Uh, now this is obviously wrong because it says that my my top three things are video games. Association football, parentheses soccer, and television. Oh, so you 
I didn't realize that you liked the when you were talking about football that you're talking about soccer. I I'm not. I loathe football. soccer. It does say it does have the NBA right now, which I do love. It does have. I mean, to give you a quick thing through my list, which is not right. It's pop music, food, rock music, online games, basketball, recipes, cooking. At uh, least yours are normal. I have a bathing ape. A what? A bathing ape. That's your number one. <laughs> when I think of Ali Rothman, I think of bathing ape and Yogi Bear. <laughs> Ali is interested in Harambe in the shadows. Hey, guess what? Nobody's going to sell anything. I do have Jeremy Renner because I like so many of those posts making fun of Jeremy Renner's social media app. I don't know if you guys saw that, but Jeremy Renner launched an app that was Facebook, but just for Jeremy Renner fans. My, That's real. my ad interests as I go forward are basically all breeds of dog. I don't think that there's a single breed of dog not represented in my Instagram ad interest. <laughs> All right, so Ali, read, just read, read, pick a portion of that list and just read it, read it off. <laughs> I mean, they're so good. Buy Into one, the microphone. buy we're one, get one free. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm distracted by this list. I got buy one, get one free. Okay. I got, Everyone likes uh, deals. Read it faster. Don't just pick the highlights. Just read in order. All right. I'm just going to pick like five that I see immediately. Slick deals. <laughs> Fashion yeah. in India. Haley Baldwin. Groupon. Why Haley Baldwin? But the, what do I know? <laughs> so, Ask Instagram. So, so Jonathan, as as the person most familiar with privacy on this podcast, uh, obviously Ali and I do a lot of it, but what is the purpose of this profile? What are they generating by looking at such a long list of interests that by your, inter- you know, your initial gut reaction is probably not so accurate, but there's a lot that is, there's a lot that isn't. So, I mean, I think... <laughs> Look, nobody really loves to like defend advertisers, right? Like that's not a sexy <laughs> position to take. But if you think about it, an advertiser doesn't want to like show their ad to someone who isn't going to be interested in it because if nothing else, the, it'll just start to annoy those people, people who, you know, aren't possibly going to be interested in your service. And if you think of like, you know, often in in digital advertising, they talk about like dumb advertising and smart advertising. Like dumb advertising is like a billboard, right? And you have no control or or like real sense of who is going to drive past that billboard in order to like you know get a map of who is being forced to look at your ad and not. And uh, you know, any brand in the world would rather that only people that could possibly be interested in the service would ever see the brand. And so what this, what these stupid guides do, what these like collections of interests do is it just lets a brand who's like, I want my ad to go in front of people who are interested in jewelry. And if they're not interested in jewelry, if they've never shown any interest in jewelry, I don't want to waste their time and attention with my advertisement, which might generate animus in them against my brand. And, and I, to even get deeper than that, I mean, we so I have the agency also evolved and we work a lot with advertisers and a lot with brands. They track not just I mean, this is what Instagram's showing you, but they have a much deeper profile than this. They know if you like these things as in double tap a picture and like it. They know if it's an ad you click through. They know how long you stare at a picture before you move on from it when you, you continue scrolling. They track all of that. And that's not necessarily shared with advertisers. But what it allows you to do is go through and build these demographics and build these profiles for not only the, the user to be advertised to, but also to figure out which influencers are the right people to pay money to to post about your stuff. Because they have, an, uh, you know, 80% of their audience, quote unquote, likes jewelry. So they're a good one to go to. Uh, but I also, hold on, Ryan. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I want to push back just a bit in that like, do. I don't <laughs> think that 
you know, we always talk about privacy in like a, the context of, is it creepy? Right. And, and, and I get that, but we also like any content creator in the world needs feedback on whether they're making garbage or whether they're making something people are interested in. And having that feedback, the ability to have some kind of feedback of like, you know, is this good or bad is important. Like the Kylie Jenner Pepsi ad from years ago, which I, 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 I Top five ad of all time. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's like, you know, the, the tone deafness there comes from the fact that the person who ultimately crafted that ad and approved that ad just didn't have a sense of like what was what their audience was receptive to. And I think that allowing allowing companies to know what is going to be entertaining and what is not going to be entertaining, what people are going to scroll past and what people are going to engage with, there's legitimate purposes behind that, right? And that's why, honestly, ads are so much more entertaining now than they used to be when I was growing up. And I, I just, I, I'm, it's hard for me to understand why that's a bad thing. You know? And I'm not necessarily saying it's bad. I mean, Austin's been very vocal on this podcast for, you know, he'd rather get ads for Dungeons and Dragons dice than he would for cool stuff. Uh, Enjoy, so <laughs> enjoying your Bud Light during the NFL halftime show. Right. Oh, so I agree completely. Like, it makes me crazy seeing ads for stuff that, like, I have no interest in whatsoever. Like because, the bathing like, ape. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, on some level, like, you know, advertising has some purpose. It lets me know about cool stuff that's out there that I might be interested in. And it and can be really frustrating if you're getting like the wrong ads. Like my, my fiance is of uh, Hispanic descent and all of the Hulu ads that she gets are in Spanish and she doesn't speak Spanish. She speaks Italian, <laughs> but she, yeah, it, and and it's like I don't even know, you know we, we based on I think visuals, that's the setting she has wrong, for, but <laughs> but that's more mal, yeah. Uh, no, but um, but but listen. So so in all seriousness, uh, oh, fine. God. I'll be the defender of freedom on here if all three of you are for this. <laughs> um, I I of course see the benefit to getting advertised about things you want to see, know, and love. I like that when a movie trailer gets shown before my YouTube video, it's of a genre I might watch, but. What you're giving up for that and, and the, the laziness that society is going through now in the you sit there and we will just throw products at you and things at you until you click yes and you're getting more of what you like. We're, t we're literally turning into the, the bad part of the movie Wally. -E. Uh, you know, we are sitting there and there's no thought anymore. It's, oh, you like movie. I show you movie. You like red game. I show you red game. And it's just, it, it's becoming ridiculous. Red game is trash. I, I, I want purple I, game. Yeah, right. I could, <laughs> not, I could not disagree more because I think that the, the challenge that we're having is uh, from the very beginning of media, you know, there's been some dude with money who basically decided what was going to be appearing on camera, what games were going to be produced, you know, what, what, what media is available for people to consume. And they were picking, you know, that media based on you know, the lowest common denominator to reach the greatest audience to be able to, you know, sell the most products. But with targeted ads, what's suddenly possible through marketplaces like YouTube and Instagram is that anyone in the world can be a content creator and anyone in the world can produce an ad supported game or an ad supported video series um, or an ad supported, you know, Instagram account, you know, and 
they can pick it for like a super small niche population and have that content supported by targeted ads, which ultimately the, the, the people buying those ads aren't going to care if you have the, the whitest audience or like the most uh, conservative audience or whatever. They're, they're going to say, okay, if, if, our con- if the person who wants to buy our, potentially buy our stuff is somewhere in your audience, we will run ads on your content and fund your ability to create this super niche and like unique and unusual content that never would have aired on television. And I appreciate that magical tale. But there are, <laughs> alterna- well, there are alternatives now. Well, but hold, hold on, Austin. And I do want to hear your thoughts, but I want to just counterpoint the counterpoint because I listen. Uh, and obviously, John and, Jonathan and I are on the same side of, of most things here and, and love all people. I just think, though, that the the uh, narrative that, you know, the group of old white guys deciding what was made and what wasn't made, you know, that died with the Internet and freedom and everything else. And yes, of course, <laughs> advertising. Well, for sure. I, and I know advertising uh, allowed for a lot of that because now anyone can go on YouTube and create a channel and make a living that way. They don't need funding from other people. However, targeted advertising has increased the amount of money that people are making off these things. Uh, not made it possible in the first place, but certainly made it more profitable in exchange for the consumer being a mindless puppet, where we are now literally they are doing such deep tests and they're doing so much A-B testing and figuring out if we show green before red on this commercial and then we hold it for 1.5 seconds longer, how many more people will buy and how long should we play this tone on the TV right before this other tone, while we're not even acknowledging them, that triggers something in a brain that people want to go by. You know, we're, they're getting to that level of insanity with this stuff. So targeted it's called manipulation. Yeah, targeted advertising is turning into targeted manipulation. And I think that's why this law is so important, because manipulating kids is way, way easier. You can go okay, on there. But, yeah. So let's <laughs> talk about practical consequences, because... You know, and I hear what you're saying, Ryan, and I'm sympathetic to the sentiment, even if I don't agree with like the the consequences. It's a really nice way of saying you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Which which is basically that like right now there are hundreds of thousands of people who make their living off of producing content on YouTube. And they might create content for like very niche audiences, including niche audiences of kids. So like one of my favorite kids content channels out there that I think is just like really doing God's work is a channel called special books for special kids, where they interview kids with um, various uh, disorders or handicaps, or, you know, differently abled, you know, these are young kids uh, who are interviewed by a special education teacher and he normalizes, you know, the reality that all of these kids are kids. And, so, you know, they're very sweet and wonderful. And having that exposure to young people who are different from you, I think, is critically important. In the family space, we have family content creators who, pre- who create content around their families, basically like reality TV shows that show mixed race families, queer families, families of, you know, various religious faiths that most of which are like shoved out of the traditional Nickelodeon and Disney ecosystem. I mean, let me, listen, you may not be in the market for faith-based entertainment, but I'll tell you, it is really, really hard to find on traditional networks because of various 
controversy or drama or, you know, Saudi Arabia doesn't want a, a Mormon, you know, uh, cha- you know, YouTube channel, you know, broadcast there. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's. Although I'm getting other- a lot of Saudi Arabia ads lately. Have you noticed that? What are you searching uh, for online? Saudi Arabia is doing a huge marketing push to try to become a tourism attraction. Oh uh, no! And I'm getting a lot of uh, I'm getting a lot of ads for them. So I wonder if I'm on that list. Maybe we should know. go there. But listen, Jonathan, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree with it at all. I really do appreciate that, and because I see the dollars coming in, and I see how these advertising companies give way more opportunity. Because you're right; it used to be. How many uh, men do you have? How many women do you have in your demographic? And are they white? Which used to be the advertising word for do they have money to spend, which is terrible. But that is how this industry ran, you know, decades ago. Nowadays, exact, maybe due to what targeted advertising, maybe due to just the growth of society, uh, we see advertisers now looking at full breakdowns of demographics and looking for targets that work with them. So you're not you're not wrong. It's just at what cost is is my whole thing. Yeah, I and think I we can that. all agree that advertising is more sophisticated now, but I think we can also all agree that things change a little bit when you're talking about children and what you're selling to children, which is how we come to our topic today. Yeah, we will we're we're, we're 40 <laughs> oh minutes God. in. And we're right. I mean, this became a bigger conversation of ad tech in general rather than just privacy, privacy law here. But but uh, Austin, you ha- you haven't spoken up in a while, and and it's because lawyers are yelling at each other about privacy law. What what's your what's your gut say on all this? I feel like we're too far in to pull out now, so targeted advertising is unfortunately the way to go. I also feel like once you have an audience and you've been using targeted advertising to keep revenue going for a while so you could make a channel, but once you have an audience, there are now alternatives, like there's Patreon and other sources that you can continue to go through. Although, you know what? Actually, now that I say that, all the channels that I enjoy, they they probably still have advertising and also Patreons. It's just, hey, I have YouTube Red, so no ads. Anyway, uh, because I pay for it, I'm screwed. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) what about COPPA? So, oh so my God, Austin! Awesome. <laughs> so I can work with this, um, Austin. Your point. I think that that's. I think you've addressed something really. No, important hold on, Jonathan. Though. Before you go, I want you to leave this in, and I want every listener to know that we took a pause and and we said, "Hey, Austin." Uh, you know, give us your thoughts and steer us back towards Kappa. And you just gave a two minute rant about nothing and then said, so what about Kappa? <laughs> so let's leave. I want that left in. And Jonathan, yeah, what about Kappa? You nailed it. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So the before we get on to what about Kappa, what, what, what is Kappa? <laughs> <laughs> we opened um, with the episode about it. But okay, Jonathan. Enough. Okay, fine. Right. What, why don't. I, I can take a shot at this. So, Please. okay. So, in fact, in fact, let me let me help you out even more, Jonathan. So, so really quick, what's Kappa, and then also why why is it such an issue currently, as in like okay. today and this recent week? Because I watched okay. the very brief YouTube video about it, but you know what? I don't know anything. Okay, <laughs> so it's really simple, uh, except that it's not at all. The reality <laughs> is is that six years ago. The FTC updated its regulations um, in how it plans to enforce the COPPA rule, saying that any content creator, which they changed the definition of an operator of a website to include content creators, and said that content creators 
who use an ad service like YouTube, which is a weird way to think of the relationship between with, between creators and YouTube, but that's the way that uh, the FTC perceives it. They, their, their point of view is that content creators who utilize the partner program on YouTube and therefore allow YouTube to collect data from their audience uh, through the partner program, through targeted ads, are essentially collecting personal information on kids if they're producing kid-directed content. And so after six years of not enforcing this law, the FTC, it came to a settlement with YouTube uh, in this uh, for a complaint that they've been collecting data on kids for all this time and, and announced in that settlement, now we're going to go after content creators. Oh, and they created a four-month window for YouTube to build into YouTube a system where every content creator is going to have to say, I make content for kids or I don't make content for kids. And at that point, YouTube is free from its obligations to, uh, to the FTC. And instead, the FTC is only going to direct its fines and pursue it's violations rash. From the on the content creators themselves. Now, I'm not hating on YouTube for that. Like they got fed a $170 million fine, and this was the deal they had to make to, you know, get out from, you know, from from this. Uh, this is the settlement. You know, the, you know like this, like this, this was what they had to do yeah. in order to just get it to stop. Exactly. Um, but the reality is, is that the, now the the onus falls on the content creators and what YouTube is planning to make sure that, you know, FTC doesn't come back on them again in the future. They've created a machine learning system that is going to, you know, just like all of their other, you know, automated detection systems that they use for, you know, uh, brand safety and whatever else they're using. Looking for patterns of behavior that indicate that kids are watching. And if they detect that this is kid-directed content, they're going to force you to uh, label it as kid-directed and remove the personalized ads and, and other features that wouldn't comply with COPPA. And I really appreciate all that, Jonathan. We're, it's, a, it's a very complicated subject we can talk three hours about. But the, the, the important thing here is uh, if you are a YouTube creator, if you're a content creator, this is happening. And this is a change that's coming and going to affect the entire industry. So more important than anything else here is, is for the people who want to do things the right way, but they have a channel targeted to kids, let's, let's wrap this episode on some advice you have for them, Jonathan, and then where... Uh, people can go to learn more or to help make a change? Yeah. So the most important thing to understand is that if, you know, YouTube or the FTC decide that your Minecraft videos or your, and I should actually take, let me actually take that back because I don't want to imply that YouTube is making this decision. All right. If you are a content creator who is making content that the FTC determines uh, are, you know, is directed at kids. And that could be Minecraft videos, that could be Let's Plays, that could be all kinds of things. Um, the FTC, if you don't, if you label your content as kid directed, you're likely to lose 60 to 90% of your revenue based on the testing that we did. And I talk about how we did that testing in my article in TubeFilter. Um, if you don't label it as uh, 
Right, if you try to get around the system. If you try to get around the system, number one, YouTube reserves the right to terminate your their, your channel if they think that you're sort of flagrantly trying to avoid this. And, and they're checking. This. I want to really hammer that because so many people, I know whether they're going to admit it or not, are just going to you know try to rationalize in their head, oh, I have a Minecraft channel, but you know I curse, so it's not targeted at children. The FTC doesn't care about that. If you have a cartoon avatar, if you have, uh, if you're using anything with animation, you're gonna get on this list. So you need to be really careful. And so, you know, if you try to evade it, and you do, and the FTC catches you, they can issue you fines of over up to forty-two thousand um, dollars, you know, per violation, which most people are understanding as per video. And so, on some fundamental level, like. It, you know, you there is huge amount of risk to producing kids content now, which means that a lot of creators are just going to choose to stop producing that content. They're either going to age up their programming uh, so that now there will be much less quality kids content available, or they're just going to stop producing content altogether. And, you know, that that's terrible because these people have an audience and they've been that they've been producing for and those you know that that's one more artist that we've lost from the platform and you know i i recommend people go look at the article and at the bottom of the article we talk about our calls to action and the most important thing is to um you know, share and distribute the article as well as sign our change.org petition that calls on the FTC to reevaluate its uh, current plans of enforcement on creators. We call, we ask them to consider like a moratorium and, and to wait um, before enforcing this so that they have the opportunity to hear from more content creators and understand how this is going to affect the, uh, the YouTube ecosystem. You know, if you're a teenager in particular and you watch content that is enjoyed by kids, like, like a lot of your entertainment will likely vanish from the platform. And that's really scary. And the FTC should know about that, that, that you're going to suffer the consequences of this, of this uh, regulatory overreach. Uh, and finally, the most important thing that anybody could do is make a comment on the FTC's proposed, you know, revision of the 2013 amendment. And that could result very easily could result in the FTC rolling back some of these regulations and allowing personalized ads to return on, you know, YouTube content. It's, you know, it's a... Is this shouting into the void, like making a whitehouse.change.gov or whatever it is petition, or is this something they actually look at? Not at all. In fact, you know, consistently when the FTC makes amendments and changes, the number one thing that they always do is they cite, you know, the response from the public and the demands of the public. Because ultimately, you know, when 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 a law is passed by Congress, the assumption is, is that the people who passed the law um, are you know, each of those was elected by their constituents. And so there's representation. So when where can FTC- people go to do this? If you go to my article in Tube Filter, which is uh, called "Is a YouTube Copocalypse Coming?" Um, uh, Copocalypse. 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 If you go to that at the bottom, there's a link that says "Make a comment on the FTC's proposed rule." And to make it easy for you, we even created a template with you know the various things with the language you can use uh, to post there to make it easy for you to like you know make a 
make a noteworthy statement that they're likely to read. And again, you know, sign the change.org petition. It's we've got a hundred thousand signatures already, which is way more than the regulators expected us to. And uh, you know, share it with people. Let people know that you want to defend creators' rights to get paid for producing content that is kid-friendly, even if it's not directed for kids, if it's just kid-friendly, if it's just general audience entertainment. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out, Um, you know, obviously coming in January very, very soon. So it's it's really going to be interesting to see what happens here. Yeah. And and listen, I know that it's always annoying having a group of lawyers not be able to give you a specific exact lines, but yeah, a lot of this depends. A lot of this is going to depend how hard YouTube wants to enforce things uh, and, and how hard the FTC wants to come in. Uh, but thank you very much for coming here today and, and walking us through this, Jonathan. And I really do urge everyone to read the article and, and sign that petition. Uh, that'll do it for us. Where can people uh, follow you, email you, message you, say hi to you? Uh, the, I'm on Twitter at JSKatz, J-S-K-A-T-Z-E-S-Q. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you can uh, go email me at jscats.com. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, you know, I actually don't know what to plug. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> that's totally don't read fine. Don't the damn article. You know, <laughs> <laughs> read the damn article. Uh, Austin, where can people, uh, follow you where you just like tweet at, people who play D&D and try to get their attention. You can follow me at Robot Austin. And listen, I have great things that I retweet and original thoughts that I don't tweet. And you can, <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Um, Ali, your Twitter, I think once every three months you might look at. So just- uh, If I had more followers, maybe I'd look more often. <laughs> so please follow me at Ali Rothman. A-L-I. Because no one spells Ali the right that's way. That's the problem. I just realized that's why I have no followers. You should, I'm just at Morrison. You should be at Rothman. How do uh, you spell Ali Rothman? At A-L-I-R-O-T-H-M-A-N. Yeah. So I'm going to blow easy. up now that people know how to spell that's my exactly, name. That was the thing holding us. Uh, and I'm at Morrison. You can also tweet waters. at me if you have any complaints about my food stores in Europe or if uh, you don't like how I'm running Australia. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow the show at robot underscore Congress. Bye, Craig. <laughs>